Okay, welcome to class number two in our new course on Jewish spirituality. And we're going to dive right in. Thank you all for joining. Um, and thank you for those who are listening on the podcast. Even if you couldn't join live, that's okay. I'm happy that you're able to pick it up later. And either way, whether you're here live or listening later, your feedback, your comments, your interaction, your reflection are, are very key elements of making this successful and even interesting. Uh, as interesting as I think I might be, it's also way more interesting when people are engaged and we, you know, it's like eating food where you have a, a great sandwich, but it's not enough just to swallow it. You have to also digest it. So the class might have very tasty ideas, but you can't just swallow. You have to digest and chew it over and let it integrate into you, become a part of you. And the way we do that is discussion, asking questions, and having time to think and having time to reflect on how an idea is landing and what it makes you feel and how you understand it and listening to somebody else's reflection and reaction. So by all means, when it's appropriate, I hope you won't be too shy to share some of your thoughts and your feelings on what's going on. And away we go. So this is all, we're still very much in intro mode. Um, and I want to just say that we're studying, we're going to be studying a text of Hasidus. Hasidus Chabad, Chabad philosophy, Chabad teachings. And the goal of Hasidus is to help us understand and encounter Hashem, to understand and encounter God as much as possible, as much as humanly possible. There are schools of thought that think that the only way to approach God is through belief and faith. And you can't understand, and you dare not understand. Um, and the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe's father-in-law, said that if you relegate something to faith when it's understandable, that's not religion, that's laziness. If, you, if you're capable of understanding it, you need to try to understand it. And then when you reach the limits of your understanding and things don't make sense and you can't understand what God is thinking, okay, then you bring in the faith and you say, listen, you got to have faith. God knows what he's doing. There's a plan. But for all the things that we can understand, we have to try to understand. We try our best. And, and that's really, the, there's, there's a fair amount of material that we can try to understand and we need to understand. So how is a person supposed to understand God? How is a human being supposed to understand God? By definition, it's almost impossible. Or it is impossible. So are we all wasting our time? Are we being delusional? Are we selling ourselves, you know, castles in the sky? There is something we can understand. No question. The, the Magid of Mizrich, who was the um, student of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, and uh, the Magad of Mizrich, his name was Rabbi Dovber, I don't know what his last name was, he once said that the best analogy we can use to understand God and to make some sense of it is an analogy of a teacher and a student. And there are basically two general modes of teaching. One is a form of teaching where the subject is very simple and it's straightforward. It's something that the student already is familiar with. For example, I'm teaching a course on campus now on Jewish medical ethics. You guys graduated too early. Now you can take a course with me and get credits. 
And I told my student, I told my students that in this class, in this course, you get points for asking questions. It's part of your grade. If you ask questions each class, you'll do well. If you don't ask any questions, you're going to be 20 points behind. Um, and so that's an example of me teaching them an idea that they're already kind of familiar with. They're familiar with grades and points. They're familiar with questions. I'm just teaching them that in this course, you know, you're going to get a, a, a grade. You'll be graded on your questions. But if I want to teach my students something profound, for example, I want to teach them how all of reality emanates out of God. Whoa, that's heavy stuff. So for that, especially if, if they've never heard these ideas before, and it's not something they're familiar with, it's not in their wheelhouse, then for that I need to use analogies. What's an analogy? An analogy takes the original idea that I have. I, as a teacher, I have, I have an understanding of the idea I want to teach. The problem is the students have no clue what I'm talking about. They're in a different zone. We are not in the same universe. How are they ever going to understand what I'm saying? If I talk, if I express myself in the language I think about this idea in my head, it's going to go right over theirs. So what do I do? I use an analogy. An analogy allows me to take something from their world, something that they're already familiar with. And I say, you know how it works when uh, coaches and players on a football team talk to each other and da, 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 da. Well, it's the same thing with God and all of us. I'm not saying that's, the, that's actually the analogy, but the point is an analogy works because you make use of something that the student already understands and you formulate it, you present the idea in, in such a way through the analogy. You dress up the idea in a metaphor that they can relate to. And so the first type of teaching we can call is a, a form of teaching in the light. The idea that you're trying to share is out in the open. There are no analogies dressing it up. There's no steps in the middle. There's no, there's no process the student has to go through to get to your actual idea. Your idea is what you're saying. The whole idea that you want to share is out there on the table. And they understand. And they see it. You're teaching in the light. The second type of teaching we can call a teaching in the dark. Because my original idea is not out in the open. My original idea that I understand is, is shrouded in, in, in metaphors and analogies. It's not clear at all. They don't even know what my original idea is. At best, at best they understand the analogy. Best case scenario. However, the kicker is that this darkness, the obscurity of, of my ideas being hidden in the analogy is actually what enables me to communicate my ideas to them. The way I'm going to be able to share the idea that I have is actually happening through this darkness, through this concealment and hidden. The, the, the hiding of the idea in the analogy is actually how I'm going to be able to get my idea through to them, it, but it will take time, eventually. And ultimately, the goal of the teacher here is not only that the student should understand the analogy and call it a day. We had a great analogy today. The teacher taught us about coaches and football players. I thought you were in a theology class. What are you talking about football for? The goal is that eventually the student will think about it and through the analogy come to understand the analog, come to understand the original idea. They'll see through it. It's just that the gap between the teacher and the student at the start 
so far apart that we need these, these vehicles, these tools of communication to get the message across. But the ultimate goal remains that the student and the teacher should be on the same level of understanding, that the student should see it the way the teacher sees it. That will take time. So when you look at it this way, it's hard to say that the darkness where the teacher hides his original idea is really and truly concealing and hiding anything. Maybe it's just another form of expression, another form of revelation. There's open revelation, and then there's hidden revelation. But it's still revelation, it's still expression. Before I continue, how are you understanding what I said so far? Does it make sense? Does it not make sense? Are you just being patient and polite like good Canadians and you're, you're saying it's all good? Any questions? By the way, you're all by default muted when you come in. So if you want to say something, you have to unmute yourself. I'm following, Rabbi. Nice to see you. Sorry I'm not on camera. I'm just uh, in the car. It's all good. Eyes on the road. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Okay. Sorry, let's make sure we're still recording. Yes, okay. So it's all it's all good so far. It brings back good memories for sure. Thank you, Jonah. It's starting starting to all come back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So Suppose you go on a business trip and you're away from your loved ones. You ever heard the expression? I'm sure you have. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. How, why, why, why does that, when you're on a business trip, you're away, all of a sudden you miss your parents, your siblings, your children, your spouse. You miss them so much. You love them so much. Well, you were in the same room yesterday, you were arguing about who, who should get the... Who should get, uh, the tuna from the fridge. And now you went on a business trip and all of a sudden you love them, miss them. I heard the same thing happens after graduation. Alumni start to really miss the rabbi. It's true, right? It's true. <laughs> so what is this? Absence makes the heart grow fonder? Shouldn't it be the other way around? When you're in the same place, you love each other and you come connected. When, you, when you're moving away from each other, you, your connection diminishes, gets weaker. Absence should make the heart grow apart, grow distracted, I don't know. And you could see the same thing in reverse. You could be in the same room as someone, they're on their phone, you're trying to have quality conversation, quality time with them, but they're not present. You feel disconnected, you feel distant. So when is your connection with, with one of your loved ones at its peak? When you're away or when you're together? Because when you come back from the business trip, it's a big hug and a kiss, and then you go right back to taking them for granted like you did before. So there is something, there really is something interesting that happens in a relationship when you're distant, when you're in the dark. 
when that person's presence is obscured from you, somehow there's a depth of the connection that actually is expressed. And like everything else, we have this, these ideas are, are part and parcel of the Torah. They're not new ideas. And I want to share with you now, um, I'll share my screen for those of you here now. Um, there's a verse in the book of Tehillim that I want to share with you. And you'll see how this really is, um, it really is an old idea from the Torah. So you see right here we have a verse from Tehillim chapter 63. So it starts off, Elohim Eliata Shachareka. O God, you are my God, I seek you. Tzama Lecha Nafshi. My soul thirsts for you, is thirsty for you. Kama Lecha Basari. My flesh longs for you. in an arid and thirsty land without water this is King David writing these very passionate even romantic lines 3,000 years ago and then what does he say he has, so he's, he's describing how he has a tremendous longing tremendous yearning for God what is the next line as I saw you in the sanctuary, so do I long to see your strength and your glory. What is he saying here? He says it's one thing to be in love with your loved one when you're far away. That's the first part. It's easy to feel longing and yearning for the one you love when you're in a dry and thirsty land without water. You're far away. So of course, when you're in, when you're distant, you feel a strong yearning, a strong love. And then he basically says, "I want to feel the same longing, even when I see you in the sanctuary. In other words, even when I'm close to you, I don't want to lose that love. I don't want to lose that yearning. There's something very powerful, very special about the connection that develops in the darkness." I don't want to lose that when I come into the light. I don't want to lose that when we reconnect. And if it's okay, I'm going to share with you now a video, not very long, of the Rebbe singing a song, a Chabad melody that was composed by the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, who composed at least 10 different melodies. And one of them was this one, composed on this words, on these words, and if you're a little bit musical, you can actually pick up and sense the emotion, the feelings of yearning in the melody. All right, here we go. Can you see the video screen here? All right, hope it all works.
So that was an illustration, yes, an illustration of the idea that even when you're in darkness, even when you're feeling distant or disconnected, that doesn't mean that there's nothing there. There's actually something very profound that you can tap into in, in a situation of darkness and the, the, the obscurity or the hiddenness that God might be hiding is actually just another form, another way of, of communicating with you, except you're like the student in the, in, the, in the story before, you're not able to pick up the teacher's actual original thought. It has to come through analogies. It has to come through um, dressed up. It has to become, become dressed up in different forms for you to be able to perceive it. And what we see from that is that even when a person's going through a moment of darkness, the main thing they have to do is Realize that there is something deeper and yearn for that and, and, and not fall asleep in the darkness and not give up and not take the darkness at face value. That's, the, that's probably the, the most important part is, is not to take the darkness at face value and to know and believe that there's something going on behind the scenes and to yearn for that and to try to discover it. Another advantage of the relationship through darkness and obscurity, is that when we're, in the, when, we're in, when we're in the same room, and we're spending all our time together, then I experience you, quote-unquote, in the light, which means I see all of you, I see your imperfections, I'm very well aware about all your problems, and you can get very easily annoyed by your loved ones. You can, you can argue with your parents, you can argue with your spouse, you can argue with your kids. But when you're apart, you're not in the same space all the time, then the relationship is now shifting into dark mode. You're not in the presence of the other person. They, their presence is dark to you. It's gone dark. The signal's gone dark. And that mode, all the flaws become minimized and you connect with the essence of the person. And it's a deeper connection where you only think about what, what you love about them. That's all that fills your mind. You don't really think about uh, the parts that you don't like so much. The flip side is that the cost for this is that you're far away and absent, and that can be painful if you all you feel, you feel like you want to be closer with them. But there is something to be gained. There is something there. It's not an on-off switch, as if the relationship is only on when you're in each other's presence, and you feel it and you see it. And if you're not, the relationship is off. No. The relationship has two modes. There's a mode of light, in the presence, and the mode of dark in the absence. But they're both modes of a relationship. That's the, key, that's the key point. They're both forms of the relationship. This is true for people, and it's true for God. <clears throat> a person can sometimes feel like they're very distant from God, because they haven't done anything that they're, that they're supposed to do. They're not living the way a Jew should live, and they feel very guilty, but they also feel very stuck and very overwhelmed. 
You have to know it's the same thing. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. And in the, in the absence of the revealed presence, there's a tremendous depth that can be accessed in the concealed presence of God. And as long as you don't give up, and as long as you don't take the darkness at face value, you can tap into that. You can, ac you can access that. You could take it even further. In the book of Tanya, which is the most fundamental book of Chabad philosophy, it says a crazy idea, that the souls of the righteous people are more present in this world after their passing than during their lives. It's actually a quote from the Zohar. He brings it down, he explains. So one second. A person was alive, yes, they may have been very holy, very, very spiritual, very pious, very saintly person. But how could you say that the souls of a righteous person are more present in the world after their passing than during their lives? And that we can connect with them. We can connect with a, a, the soul of a righteous person, of a holy person, after they passed away. How could you connect with somebody more deeply after death? The point is the same. That darkness, the, the absence of revelation, doesn't mean a conflict with light. It means it's a way to absorb light that's too intense for you. It's an analogy. Darkness is an analogy. You can't, you know, the famous expression, you can't handle the truth. You're not able to, to, to perceive the truth right now. It's too intense for you. So you have to be shown an analogy. Your job is to pick up the analog, to pick up the original idea through the analogy. You'll get there eventually, as long as you don't give up. But it's still very hard, because this all comes through darkness and distance, and that's not a pleasant experience. So we're disturbed by the darkness. We, we don't like, most of us anyway, don't like the darkness. We don't like the concealment. We want to be in an open relationship where we're feeling the presence of God, feeling the presence of our loved one. The distance is very awkward. It's very painful. <clears throat> but our, our goal here with this text that we're going to be studying is that we're going to learn how to relate to God not only in the light, but also in the dark. There are people who think that the only way to relate to God is to be very spiritual. The only way to connect to God is by being very, very spiritual, very removed and detached from the physical world. There are whole religions that are based on this principle. That the way to find the truth is to disassociate from the physical world. Like I mentioned last week, you go on a 10-day silent yoga retreat, you don't say anything, and you, you know, detach from your humanity to a certain degree, and that's how you find the truth. Or look at other religious traditions where the, the holy person, who's the religious leader, can't be married. Because marriage is somehow a, a, a materialistic thing, and it's inappropriate. Whereas in Judaism, all our holy people are married and have to be married. Because we don't believe that the, the only way to relate to God is, is through the light, through the spirit. You can also relate to God through the dark, through the physicality of things. If you know, if you know how, to, how to navigate it, the Torah gives us guidance, how to, how to manipulate physicality into a connection with God. That's what every mitzvah is. Every mitzvah is a manipulation of physicality into a connection with God. Because we know that there's something deeper here, more than meets the eye. So sometimes God's, God engages with us in very easy, understandable ways, like 
when he does a miracle, and you're like, wow, that was a miracle. That was amazing. Wow, God, amazing. And other times, he wants to convey something more profound than what you're able to perceive, so he has to hide and dress it up in layers and layers of, of analogy, layers and layers of concealment that we can relate to, even though they obscure the original idea, the original truth. And so what we're going to learn is we're going to recognize darkness for what it is. We're going to learn that darkness is just another form of expression. The teacher can either teach you something simple that you can relate to, or something profound that's beyond your experience, and he teaches it to you through analogies, and eventually you get the original idea. But the quicker you pick that up, the less painful or confusing the darkness is, the analogy is. Suffering melts away. What's the expression? I forget where this is from. Pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Because once you understand the context, once you understand the role of darkness and concealment of the truth and confusion, it's not going to be an experience of suffering anymore. Ultimately, the goal is to get the analog. The goal is to get the original idea. You look around the world, you see a lot of dysfunction, you see a lot of physicality, you see a lot of corruption, there's a, there's a lot that's hiding the truth. But our goal is to discover the truth within all of that. So one of the phrases the Rebbe repeated many, many times, hundreds and hundreds of times, he would say this in his talks all the time, was, was a, basically a plea, a plea to God to send us Tov visible and revealed good. Don't just give us good that is dressed up and, and measured in all kinds of costumes that, you know, it's all for the best. You know, right now it doesn't look so good, but it's for the best. No, that's not good enough. We want good that we can see and feel. We don't want the analogies anymore. We want the analog. We're ready for the analog. This is really what the era of Mashiach is all about. Time of Mashiach is a time when the ultimate truth is revealed. What we're waiting for is, what God is waiting for, is for us to be ready for it. Are you ready to hear the analog? Or do you need another analogy? And we're at the point now where the world is ready for the analog. And what we're doing now, we're learning about this process. We're, even this process, what we talked about today, we're already peeling a layer back and, and making that concealment less heavy, less thick. Because we're, we're decoding it, we're taking it apart, we're trying already to, to make sense of it and see it for what it is, and see through it. And so the more we study the analog, and get familiar with the original idea, and, and discover how we can perceive that through the physicality of the world, through the, the concealment of nature, we get closer and closer to that time, and we become, we, we become more and more receptive to the analog, to the ultimate truth, to the original idea of the teacher to the experience of God that until now was always hidden and covered and clothed. And this is really the, the goal of, of Chabad Hasidus, to, to, like I said at the beginning, the goal is to help us understand and encounter Hashem, which we do that through learning these ideas, understanding these ideas, reflecting on these ideas. Because when you reflect on these ideas, there are, there are takeaways that every person can find. You're going to you're gonna digest the idea in a different way than, than I will, and vice versa. 
you know. So something to take away, a, a takeaway prompt for our reflection is: Can you identify where in your life is God showing you an analogy? Where is He showing you something that appears to be very disassociated from God, very distant from God? So that's number one. And number two, can you try to perceive in that analogy, in that, whether it's a situation that God put you in, or, or a relationship, whatever it is, can you try to determine, can you try to identify in that analogy what the deeper meaning of that might be, where the deeper truth in that might be, how it's actually an expression of truth and goodness coming through in a in a veiled, concealed method. You're stuck in traffic, traffic jam. What do you do? You bang the wheel, you say, ah, stupid traffic. That's what it looks like on the surface. That's what it feels like on, on, on an instinct, on instinctual level. That's what it feels like, for sure. But then, then the mind can be engaged. The mind can kick in. And you see what you can what you can make of it. Any questions? Any rebuttals? Throw soft tomatoes. Um, the traffic thing is a little bit confusing to me because I always thought you know, you know you have the concealment of an idea and an analogy. The analogy helps you understand something. And where does the traffic come in? As an analogy, what kind of idea does that help you better understand? I'm just saying the traffic is an example of something that we experience as as a, a negative, as a concealment of goodness and concealment of truth. It was just an idea that came I to see. me, right? We, we experience okay, that as a bad thing. Oh, terrible traffic. Right. Right? Is that all that there is to the traffic jam? It's just flat out terrible, there's nothing more? Or can you find something good? In the traffic jam, is there something meaningful in the traffic jam? I don't like traffic any more than the other guy, but this is this is the job of being a human being in this world, to to go through to parse through the experience as you experience life in the physical world, and and be tuned into something deeper all along, to be tuned into a to a deeper channel, a deeper frequency, that allows you to redefine your experience in in a in a holier way, in a, in a more um, not only more calm way, but in a way that is associated with, with something that's true and good. And by all means, come up with different, come up with different different examples, right? Any example will work. Any any situation that makes you feel like things are not going your way is an opportunity for this exercise. Anytime things aren't going your way, you you take a step back. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is what we learned about. This is what this is what we learned about. That there are times where goodness is concealed and it looks like it's all bad at the surface. And my job is to to go deeper and say this is just an analogy for something else. This is just a or or another angle is just a test to see if I'm going to lose sight of my of my commitment to what's true and good, which is another another tweak on this idea, similar similar but different. Could be just a test. 
Are you going to let this throw you off your path of looking for the light and everything and being focused on, on the deeper meaning of things and focused on the truth and focused on your mission in this world? Are you going to let this get to you? Are you going to let this rattle you? Or are you just living in a different headspace? You know, in sports they call, uh, you know, there's uh, being in the zone. What happens when an athlete's in the zone? Their their mind, they're not even present. They're not even in the game. Their mind's in a different... When Delmar's in the zone, you don't want to be guarding him. I'll tell you that. (laughs) There you go. That's hilarious. There you go. Same for you. We'll have we'll have some video proof of that. Yeah, we'll see if we can get some of that. Let's go to the videotape. Uh, Rabbi, I have a, I have a question about about this uh, thought. Thank God. Because I'm waiting for I've, I've been uh, talking for a long time. I've I've been uh, I've been wondering about this for like exactly what you're talking about of the you know what the threshold and I guess there's no real answer but I just think about it often of what's the threshold between is is this a test, like you're saying, and are you going to continue to persevere through? Or is this, you know, Hashem telling you that, you know, this is not the path you're meant to be on? So that's something that I've, I've struggled with professionally, personally, lots of different aspects of life. And then that leads me to my question of, like, what, what does um, Judaism say regarding, like, you know, predeterminism, mm-hmm. things like that? Because when you're, you know, when you mentioned the traffic... I think to myself, oh yeah, traffic sucks, it's brutal, but, you know, it often happens where you'll drive a few kilometers ahead and you'll see a horrible accident and wonder, oh, what if I left five minutes earlier? Could that have been me? And was this a blessing? Excellent question. So, I'll try to do in order. Um, the, question Sorry, you start, the question you started with is, is a million dollar question, it really is. Um, you know, is God sending you a test and he wants you to keep going and be determined and persistent and stubborn? Or are you being stupid and you should just take the hint? Um, is that... Am I, I'm not putting words in your mouth, am I? No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've struggled with this too. And I think anybody who's thinking struggles with this question. So, one of the answers I once got when I was discussing this with... I don't even remember who. It just resonated with me and I liked it. Was a good, a good heuristic to sort of filter through tests or messages is it depends what's what's going on it depends what the context is um is it a mitzvah so let's say you're on your way to shul right and you're going to shul and you're going to daven and you're going to do all kinds of holy wonderful mitzvahs and all of a sudden there's a sinkhole on the sidewalk and you can't get to shul your regular route the only way you'll be able to get there is you cut through cut around the back, it'll take you another 10 minutes. So is that a message that, hey, today is not the day to go to shul. God put a, a sinkhole on your path, and you're clearly not meant to go to shul. Or it's a test. Let's see how determined you are. So when there's a mitzvah at the end of that you know, track, if the obstacle is something that's standing between you and a mitzvah, then it's always just a test. It's never a message never a message to God would never send you a message hey don't do a mitzvah it's a test clearly it's a test and you can extrapolate from there to any kind of religious responsibility or personal responsibility um, you know you're on your way to work you're going to support your family or support yourself 
it's, it's a responsible thing to do. Every adult has to support themselves and their families. Um, you know, and then, uh, I don't know, the Wi-Fi is out at work. So what do you do? Oh, well, I guess there's no way for me to work today. Got to call it a day and go home. With all due respect, that's what a loser would say. A winner takes out their phone, hooks up a hotspot, or goes to Starbucks, or just makes phone calls, or finds a way, and doesn't take no for an answer, because clearly it's not a message, it's a test. Because it's getting in the way of your responsibilities. Now, where it might be a message is when it comes to things that are not a responsibility or an obligation where it comes to things that are purely optional and voluntary, um, you know, then then there's a chance that there's a message here for you. And maybe it's an indication from God not to go ahead with the plan. You know, um, you'll forgive me, but somebody wants to watch something online that they really shouldn't do. And all of a sudden the Wi-Fi blinks out. Or their phone's not working. That's not a time for you to be stubborn and persistent. That's a time to realize, hey, God is saving your behind by cutting out the service so you can't go ahead and do something self-destructive. Take the hint. Take the hint. So that to me, when I got that answer, that I remember that from many years ago and it's, it's always served me well. I don't know if it answers every single case, but I think it answers a lot of cases. No, that's the best answer I've gotten to that question ever. So thank you. <laughs> where, have you where have you been all my life? Um, <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, and then, and then your your second question about what does Judaism say about predeterminism? So we don't call it predeterminism, but it's closely related. Um, we call it Tashkacha Pratit, specific individual um, divine supervision or providence. Um, and there's a bit of a debate on the details among Jewish philosophers, how far this goes. Um, Maimonides held that it only went in, in a general sense. Um, others, such as the Baal Shem Tov, said that it, went, it goes on, on a very specific individual level. But the general idea is that, yes, that God's involved in coordinating things that are outside of your freedom of choice. Anything that's, that's associated with your freedom of choice is, is your choice to make. But anything that's outside of that is going to be orchestrated by God for purpose. And not always will we observe and see that purpose, of course, but sometimes we do, very often, very often. And uh, in English and in Western culture, we have all kinds of funny names for these things, which in general is a, is a funny comment because we have Western culture is deeply uncomfortable with faith in God, so it, it comes up with terms and words to rename and redefine points of contact with God. So we have words like serendipity or coincidence or small miracles even. And this is basically referring to the same thing, just not associating it with God. Um, I'll give you a small example. I mean, everybody sees this all the time. If you're, if you're awake and paying attention, you, you have this and you see this in your life. Two weeks ago, I was in Dalarama late at night. My daughter needed some supplies for, uh, for a school project. So, I had to hustle off the Dalarama. As I'm walking through the aisles, I, uh, I hear somebody say, 
That's the first Jew I've seen in Waterloo. And I turned around and I said, uh, Shalom Aleichem, what's your name? Turns out he's a professor here and he just moved here. And uh, he hadn't met a Jew yet. And being that I'm, I, without bragging, I think I can safely say I'm the most visible Jew in Waterloo, um, he was delighted. And he said hello. And we stood there in Dalarama for 20 minutes chatting, exchanged information. And, um, you know, I added him to our email list. And he'll start joining us for the community programs that we do and hopefully make a connection here and feel at home. That was all coordinated by God. I, I could have never arranged that. And uh, it's a small example of that, but the, the, everybody has examples all the time. Did you give him the lyrics to the song? Which song? I'm a Jew in the loo. Ah. <laughs> you know, we haven't sung that in a long time. We're finally bringing it back. That's a throwback. Anyhow. Abigail, you, Abigail you, had a, you had a question? Yeah, well, first of all, I forgot about that song, so thank you, Jonah, for reminding me about that song. <laughs> it's funny. Um, but no, I was just going to say that, you know, you never know, like, what, what I take away from this is that you just never know if something is really good or bad because you don't see the full picture yet. So you may think, oh, this, um, oh, my, I have a flat tire. Oh, I, you know, whatever, whatever happened to you, you, whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, you don't know how things will play out. You don't see the full picture. Um, it's like praying so badly or hoping so badly for a certain job or promotion and then getting rejection after rejection and um, feeling disappointed, feeling like, you know, your prayers aren't being heard or your hard work isn't being paid off for. But then, you know, lo and behold, in the end, you end up getting something even better that you couldn't have imagined. You're thankful that you didn't get any of the other ones because it would have held you back from this opportunity that would have, eventually worked out right so mm -hmm. it's just you're it's just the way of showing that you know how it's working behind the scenes that you don't see always mm -hmm. absolutely and and sometimes there isn't a happy ending and that's because that's the way it's supposed to be so you accept it because that's the way it's supposed to be and you you take it you know i i, I would be reluctant to promise that there's always going to be a happy ending on everything but I think the point of what we're talking about here is that if you, if, you, if you grasp the point that there is the presence of God in the darkness, then that is the happy ending. And this is where God wants you to be right now, and this is where you need to be. Again, when it comes to your freedom of choice, that's up to you, and you hustle, and you work, and you do your best. But beyond that, with the areas that you don't control, you have to always accept it. There's nothing you can do anyway. You have to accept it, and you have to accept that this is exactly where you need to be, whether you like it or not, or understand it or not, this is where Hashem put you, and this is where you need to be. So embrace that, embrace the opportunities it comes with. It might not be plan A for you, it might not even be plan B for you, but somehow, for sure, it's exactly Hashem's plan A, and exactly where you are needed. might not be where, you're, where you want, but it's where you're needed. And, uh, and that will always be the case. Just a question, are you going to embrace that or, you know, mope around and have a pity party and, and ignore it? I think we'll call it a night with this, unless there's any more questions or comments. Um, we'll pause here until next week. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you learned something. And it's really nice to see you again. 
And I really look forward to continuing this journey with all of you and those of you listening on the podcast, God willing. Hope to see you all next week, Tuesday, 8.30 at jewishwaterloo.com slash Zoom. Ayla Tov. Thank you so Ayla much. Tov.